0: I like how you didn't specify a cocktail shaker. You're like, it's just shaker, and you will oh, it's all right. a cocktail shaker. Aren't <laughs> well, you said cocktail. I mean, people will figure it out. But yeah, what? <laughs> what other shakers are there? I don't know, but I wouldn't know what you were talking about otherwise.
1: I'm Nurjiti us and I recently got a cocktail shaker for my birthday. <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It will become apparent. But I'm just. I was just. <laughs>
0: Hey
2: there, and welcome back to another episode of She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we will be discussing business bosses and leaders. In today's episode, we will talk about Doris Duke, a philanthropist, a billionaire who started the Newport Restoration Foundation and was a pioneer in historic preservation. I'm Jessica Rogers. Peak adulting by getting excited to use my new vacuum cleaner based <laughs> out of Miami, Florida.
0: I'm Lizzie Raar. I'm loving my new food processor in San Francisco.
1: Oh, <laughs> what does a food processor do? Chops things. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should say that I love my air fryer. Ooh. I okay, mean, hey, why not? Well... I love my air fryer and also I'm Nergeny Rivas. (laughs) I recently got a shaker for my birthday and have been enjoying a lot of different cocktails at home from Houston, Texas.
0: Now for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning together.
2: All right. So. Owl's story begins in New York City on November 22nd, 1912, where Doris Duke was born. She was the only child to the James Buchanan, also known as J.B. Duke, and her mother, Nanaline Holt Man Duke. So who is J.B. Duke, you wonder?
1: Well, I'm more wondering who Doris Duke is, but OK, <laughs> now I guess I'm also wondering who J.B. Duke is is and also <laughs> who is nanaline holt inman that's a really peculiar name <laughs> i'm wondering where that's from i'm wondering who every single person you've mentioned is tell so. us about all the characters
2: <laughs> no GD, you don't know who jb duke is okay i'll explain because this has to be known and it kind of explains the story of it. But before I get to JB, Nana Lime, she was, you know, from Georgia. She was a widow before marrying JB. She also had a son, Walker, who was only 12 when Doris was born. But JB is who we want to talk about because that's where the good stuff comes from.
0: I mean, you're saying his name in a way that I'm supposed to know who that is, but I do not.
1: So <laughs> yeah, thanks for shaming me, Jessica. Yeah, I was like c- listen, I'm glad yeah. you don't know either. Nope. We can be ignorant together. Okay. Who is this <laughs> character? <educator? Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: in fairness, the name JB Duke does not sound too popular, but you'll definitely recognize some of the companies and institutions that were created by this family. All right, hit it. Okay. Okay, so JB was the founder of the American Tobacco Company and Duke Power, along with his brother. Even though they lived in New York, they were originally from North Carolina. So, you know, just looking American Tobacco Company, Duke Power, like at a quick glance, this isn't just like regular entrepreneurship. Like we're talking about like some real money. They lived beyond comfortable.
0: Okay, but wait, can I stop you right there? Because now you've said Duke and you've said North Carolina, and now you have my wheels turning. Mm -hmm. So. Yes. I think I see where this is going. I see what you're putting down. Yeah, you see, you see, you (laughs) see, you know, the power is going on, you know? Not the power, but the,
2: yeah. So Doris, you know, she was a tobacco heiress, but her family was a huge benefactor for Duke University. Yes. Yes. It was named after their family. That's what
0: I was wondering.
2: Yep. Yep. That's where it started. So it actually began as Trinity College. JB and the family would donate a lot of money to that school. So once Trinity College expanded, it became Duke University, named after the JB Duke family.
0: Dang. He started Duke, is what you're saying. I mean, I saw, I saw the connections before, but
1: like, <laughs> that's pretty legit. I want to do this, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have a lot of money, find a small college, throw a lot of money at it, and rename it <laughs> Nurjiri <Nargeti> University. <laughs> <laughs> yes. or maybe Rivas College, or maybe Rivas Villalongo University. There it is. You have oh, many yeah, options. <laughs> Yes, mm-hmm. like maybe I'll start three. Yes. Just <laughs> yeah. a city of colleges. Yeah, that's really cool that Doris family started Duke University. I'm gonna plan how I'm gonna go do that.
2: <laughs> so Doris's father passes away when Doris is only 12 years old. Okay. And he had left her the majority of his fortune, which would equate to more than 80 million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Newspapers would say that she was the richest little girl in the world. Whoa.
0: Yeah, that's a very rich 12-year-old. Yep. I hope others were watching out for her. She should not be wielding that much money.
1: <laughs> yeah. What about interesting name, Nanalene Holt-Inman? Did <laughs> she inherit something? So she did.
2: And for the record... um, Doris wouldn't get all $80 million in one setting. Her father had put it in that she would get it in like batches. Um, so I'll, I'll explain how that fits in throughout her story. But to answer your question, Nanaline Holt, the mama, uh, in the will, it didn't disclose a specific amount that her mom would get, but it said that she was given, in quote, life tenant in any of the estates and incomes from the estates.
0: Hmm. So basically, she's allowed to keep living there and to live off the estate money. Mm-hmm. Seems like not quite as good a deal as Doris. <laughs> but I mean, I supposed when Nanaline passed away, it would end up going to Doris anyway. Question mark. So Is high drama. I tell you, her life,
2: Doris's life is actually really fascinating it's filled with so much drama and like rich people problems and y'all know how i like i was gonna say jessica just likes to pick rich ladies
1: yeah this is for her yeah
2: i want i want to see how the other life lives you know (laughs) y'all doris's life is so fascinating and it's filled with so much drama and rich people problems it's like Whole other tax bracket that I don't comprehend. But what's important to note, right, is that before Doris's dad passes away, it was very apparent that her father loved her. Like, I mean, besides, you know, the huge inheritance that, you know, came up after his death, but he would encourage her to sit on his business meetings. This is a kid. Oh, yeah. Needless to say, his death was devastating to her and her relationship with her mother was kind of strained.
1: It's like early bring your daughter to work day. I actually think that's kind of neat that he encouraged his daughter to sit on business meetings and that yeah. he seemed mm-hmm. to have high hopes for her. Yeah. Carrying his legacy, which is awesome. And I understand how losing a parent at a such a young age yeah. would devastate anyone. But why would the relationship with the mother become strained? Mm-hmm. Did she, did the mom present that the majority of the will went to this 12-year-old child? Was she a little jealous? Probably. I think all of the above.
0: Yeah, I
2: could yeah, see that, actually. Think...
1: She was jealous. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, like I mentioned before, right, uh, Doris wouldn't get this big chunk of money all at once. Um, her The way that her inheritance worked was that it would come in three installments. Her first installment would come when she turned 21, and it was estimated to be around $10 million.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I was worried about this 12-year-old going around with $80 million on her, but this (laughs) makes
1: a lot more sense. That's a lot of Build-A-Bear.
2: (laughs) Build-A-Bears.
1: Or like that American Doll series or whatever those are. American Girl Doll, Yeah.
2: This first installment is where we begin to see Doris's philanthropic work. The following year, after receiving this $10 million check, she creates her first charitable foundation called Independent Aid, Inc. Based on Doris's interest to help others, the foundation helped the welfare of women and children, education, social work, and mental health. Plus early family planning. In 1935, the following year after opening uh, this foundation, a $10,000 donation was made from Doris's foundation to the National Committee of Birth Control, and $15,000 donation was made to Margaret Sanger.
1: Whoa, that's a lot of important work. And especially at that time, it sounds really progressive. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting to talk about that now, but yeah, I wonder if she got any pushback. Also, who's Margaret Sanger? So Margaret
0: Sanger was a birth control activist who started the National Committee of Birth Control, and that later became Planned Parenthood. Uh, She spent her whole life working to legalize birth control and make it universally available for women.
1: Important work to this day.
2: Yeah. Okay. I know that we i started my research i think what back in may or june and now we're in july just a couple weeks after the overturning of roe v wade mm-hmm. um so I don't, this this hits heavy mm-hmm. um yeah okay uh sorry let, let me get it together in february of 1935 Doris would marry her first husband, James H.R. Cromwell, who everyone called Jimmy. Directly after this wedding, they would sail off on a six-month honeymoon, traveling to China, Japan, the Philippines, Singapore, and India. Ooh, nice. What it's like to be rich. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh. Wouldn't
2: that be really nice? While in India, Doris would fall in love with Islamic architecture, and in particular, the Taj Mahal.
0: Okay. I mean, that honeymoon, though, it sounds great. <laughs> I want to go to uh-huh. all those places. But I'm also totally in agreement with Doris about Islamic architecture in the Taj Mahal. Islamic architecture, one of my favorites. Yes.
1: I just want to say that the name Cromwell has always sound super fancy to me, right? It's very fancy <laughs> sounding. Like, like, like the royalty of Halloween town. What? What? <laughs> Halloween the Town? Cromwell really? The Cromwell Witches. The Cromwell Witches? The no. Witches. <laughs> I like how I was like, it sounds
0: very British. And you were like, Halloween Town. Because <laughs> it reminds sounds me like of money. like
1: old British aristocracy kind of things. That too. I also agree that the honeymoon sounds freaking amazing. I had like three days in Vegas. <laughs> 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 Not quite the same.
2: <sighs> No. While on this trip, not only is Doris learning about architecture and the different cultures, but she's also buying land and different properties. So in her trip, her voyage, her arc venture of a lifetime, <laughs> she would buy a property in Hawaii, which also was like the last stop in her honeymoon. Of course. Casually. Of course. This property, uh, she would build a mansion that would be referred to her as her Shangri-La estate.
0: Ooh, Shangri-La. Her own
1: utopia. hmm Okay, I'm Googling Shangri-La because it sounds super familiar. <laughs> oh, it's a fictional <laughs> place in the Kunlun Mountains in Lost Horizon. Yes. A novel by James Hilton. Yeah. It's a mystical, harmonious valley. Well, yeah, but I mean, people people use
0: that term, like that's probably not what most people know it from, but... It's just a term for
1: like a utopia, utopia. Uh, you know, an escape. OK, mm-hmm. luxury. Now I have really high hopes for this property. Yes. I look forward to the pictures on the show notes, Jessica.
2: Yep. I'll try to gather as much as I can because it sounds fabulous. I mean, the estate was amazing. It took years to build and it had so much. I would compare it to like the Hearst Castle, maybe. Just I was thinking like it was giving it's... me those vibes. Right. Um, But to give you a little bit more perspective, too, Doris would travel to the Middle East going on these trips that would last like six weeks or more just to find furnishings and artwork for Shangri La.
1: Okay. I wouldn't mind this job. Me either. (laughs) This lady has a lifestyle
2: that is just rich beyond rich like the richest little girl in the world you know (laughs) crazy rich caucasian yeah i mean (laughs) right white rich people you know our episode 52 lady i thought dorothy draper was rich you know tuxedo park you know fabulosity (laughs) but uh doris takes this to a whole other level she was invited to attend the coronation of King George the Sixth in London. What? Yeah. She would host a dinner for the president of the Philippines.
0: Whoa. Whoa. She was rubbing elbows with some serious people. Okay, but to be honest, I had to double check the dates to see if she's having dinner with Ferdinand and Imelda
1: Marcos, but we're good. It's before their time. Okay, good. But was she rubbing elbows with a different dictator? Uh, unclear unclear based on my research mm. okay let's move on yep yep we're going to fall on a rabbit hole and we don't have time for that we are going to
2: move on because she also had dinners with you know Joseph Kennedy and his wife um a man by the name of Henry Luce you know the founder of Time magazine seriously all the people and i said yeah just all the people All right. So now we're going to jump to 1937, which is Doris's 25th birthday. So she accomplished all that stuff, like dinners and Mm -mm. stuff before 25. So on her 25th birthday, Doris would receive her second installment of her father's fortune.
1: Oh, snap. I forgot that she was in her early 20s. Mm -hmm. Gosh goodness, this girl has lived more in 25 years than I will probably live in like 25 generations. (laughs) (laughs) Money, money, money. Money. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah, I know it can't buy happiness but maybe. (laughs) Maybe it can't. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, like a six month honeymoon all over the world. Mm -hmm. I'd like to test that theory of money bringing happiness. Well, anyway, so she receives a chunk of money and the following year, she would purchase land in New Jersey on Lake Mashapacom. That would be known as Trailblazer Camp, a camping facility for underprivileged kids.
1: That's good to know that she was trying to do good work with her ridiculously huge inheritance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I like that she was trying to give back.
2: In July of
0: 1940,
2: Doris would actually give birth to a premature baby girl oh. in Hawaii. This baby would only live for a day.
0: Oh, that's
1: really sad. I feel so sorry for Doris. Yeah, that's terrible. Oh. That would break my heart in so many pieces. Looking at her life
2: retrospectively, I can see why this moment would change a lot or impact her life moving forward. But I get ahead of myself. Um, So we're in 1942. Doris turns 30 and she receives the remainder of her trust fund, which was estimated to be over 17 million (laughs) dollars.
1: OMG, again, totally (laughs) forgot that she was going to get more money. This is it, right? Like no more, more money. (laughs) We're done. She's maxed out the inheritance, right? So
2: this is the last of her money, but it's not like she's going to run out, right? She's got so much. Between 1944 and 1947, Doris would actually join the war efforts. She joined the United Seamen's Service.
1: Oh, the United Seamen's Service promotes the welfare of American seafarers, their dependents, and other people involved in maritime industry. Oh, so she wasn't like actually on the sea.
0: She was supporting them from the land. She was supporting
2: them. She, you know, in one account, I read that she traveled to Egypt to be like the assistant director of the American Seamen's Club operated by the United Siemens Service. So in this role, she would basically decorate the club house, arranged the dances, and entertain the visiting armed forces by playing the piano for all of the men in uniform. That sounds fun. I mean, yeah. And actually, before this, her efforts were also noted through other examples. So after the attack on Pearl Harbor, Doris's 50-foot yacht was requisitioned by the War Shipping Administration. And they actually took possession of her La estate to use as a recreational facility for officers.
0: Okay, well, first off, you know how we all have a yacht and a mansion to just, you know, offer up to the <laughs> U.S. military. But I think that's great that she's actually able to help out the war effort that way.
2: Okay, so I need to post the letter from the War Shipping Administration. Because it's not like she donated. They asked for Doris's approval to use their yacht. Oh, I see. (laughs) Can't wait to read that. Mm -hmm. In 1951, the Independent Aid, Inc., her first foundation that was renamed to the Doris Duke Foundation.
0: Putting her name on it, just like her daddy. I like this.
2: Yes. OK, so this foundation would do several great things over the years, like making several donations to historically black colleges and universities. Nice. Some of the properties that she owned, she would donate to the local schools. Like, for example, her 78th Street mansion was donated to NYU's Institute of Fine Arts, and it was renamed the James B. Duke House.
1: Oh, that's great. Preserving her family history and advancing education in one stroke. Very nice. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like her foundation did a lot of great stuff
0: over the years.
2: And we're just getting started. Okay. Because in 1968, Doris established another foundation, the Newport Restoration Foundation. It's basically the heart of our story, if you will. This foundation came about as Doris started to notice the deterioration of Newport, Rhode Island's historical architecture. Ooh, I'm excited about the direction this
0: is heading. Me
2: too. So you see, Newport was kind of like Doris's summer residence. She never really cared for it, but when she donated the New York mansion to NYU, she needed a house to store the art collection that it held. (laughs) So in comes Newport, Rhode Island and the Rough Point House.
0: Okay, well, Newport was definitely the summer hangout of New York's elite at that time. Again, I know I've talked about it before, but if you watch The Gilded Age, you know what I mean. But also, can we talk about, like, a casual need for an art collection storage? So let me just buy a house over here to store my art.
1: Right? Oh, I just donated my art storage house. Now I need to find another. What a drag. Ugh.
2: What a drag. And on top of that, in Newport, Doris is witnessing these dilapidated 18th century homes that were along the Tame Street waterfront and historic hill neighborhoods. They were getting demolished to make way for roadway widening.
0: No. Sounds sad to lose that history. That's really Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. Yes,
2: it does. Um, So. In response to these urban renewal efforts to create roadways and highways, Doris steps in and she starts her foundation.
1: Do it, Doris!
2: Yeah. Yes. Okay. So her way of operating this foundation was also very interesting. So get this. She would basically buy all of these properties and restore them. She then does a lease to tenant steward agreement, which I think it means that she would lease the properties to tenants and they would agree to maintain the properties.
0: That's really cool. And I mean, we know she had the money to be able to just buy properties up. Right. But I like that she also focused on finding people who would help maintain them or enjoy them. Right. But with the idea that (laughs) she would continue to keep the historic elements of and her foundation would help with the upkeep.
1: It also sounds like a good way to get the community involved in the projects as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for them to have a stake in the game and care for the renovations. Yeah.
2: It's also really interesting how involved she was with the process of the restoration of these projects. She would document and receive first town accounts from the architects and the tradesmen that worked on the properties. She would meet regularly to review drawings. She would visit the building sites. She would also work with the local architectural historians to ensure that there were accurate restorations.
1: What a great architecture restoration business model. Since I love history so much, for a time I was actually wondering if I should do a master's in architecture restoration. Now Doris is making me have ideas and second thoughts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate her commitment to restoration and
0: how she didn't want to just... Restore it in the sense of making it look nicer after it had deteriorated, but she really cared about the history and making sure that it was restored in the style of the time, which is exactly what good architectural restoration does, right? Yeah,
2: this restoration foundation would restore 80 properties. Doris would donate about $22 million to this foundation, which is considered to be the largest gift to any single organization in her lifetime.
1: Wow. Amazing. Lizzie, were you saying we need to go to Newport? Uh, I yeah. think you're right. <laughs> I think we need to add that to our, our ARC Ventures list. Yes.
0: I've always heard that Newport was super cute and like a fun place to visit. Now I definitely think we have to go.
2: Yeah, I want to see the houses. Um also I just it's hard to imagine all of that money, but I love that she's putting it into good use and doing so much because the foundation, they would also They would restore the homes in clusters and specific neighborhoods. It, for one, impacted the cityscape of Newport, you know, solidifying that city aesthetic. So we have to go on an arc venture just to see it. But the like impact that it had in the like auxiliary spaces, I guess, or like the auxiliary like neighborhoods, because it her work would inspire others to restore historic buildings in the Newport area, too. So it's not just residential. We're talking commercial spaces.
0: Yeah, I mean, Newport has a very distinct New England style. And it sounds like the reason it has this reputation or that it lasted this long is because of Doris and that she started this trend. Right. It
1: made other people want to continue Mm -hmm. it, which is so cool. It really is. Actually, thank you, Doris, for being a visionary.
2: Yes. So the organization would grow and do so much good work in the realms of historical preservation, that Jackie Kennedy would be appointed the vice president of this foundation.
0: Oh, Jackie joined? (laughs) I mean,
1: to be honest, I shouldn't be surprised with all these people that Doris is hanging out with. True. Yep. But why Jackie Kennedy? Was she interested in preservation? I don't know. She's from New England. No, maybe she's not. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Fact check. Well, I mean, the Kennedys
0: are,
2: but... They, I mean, they got money, so that makes sense.
0: <laughs> anybody with money is interested in preservation. Well, yeah, they want to preserve that money. Yeah, but not
1: preserve buildings. <laughs> Same difference.
0: No, I think
2: any for, anybody from money would be interested in Newport, Rhode Island. <laughs> since it's the area of the elite, right? So they want to preserve uh, it and I have guess, their but vacation you know, the homes. Kennedy's got
0: their whole so. compound out in Massachusetts. But anyway.
2: That is true. That's true. Well, okay, but actually, you know, besides being rich and having money, it was interesting to look at historical preservation and seeing where Jackie Kennedy felt like where where was the connection there. So, just you know, taking it a step back, looking at just historic preservation in general. In the '60s, Jackie Kennedy, she would be the first lady that would actually have a major impact in the preservation of the White House. Mm. Just side note, because I. This reminds me of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C. visiting one of my favorite uh, museums, the Renwick Gallery. It's part of the Smithsonian family, and it was talking about the historic preservation of the actual uh, gallery. And that's because of Jackie Kennedy and the work that she did. Gotcha. Jackie Kennedy, she would create the White House Historical Association, which would handle objects and catalog the acquisitions that were in the permanent White House collection which also includes the preservation of the president and first lady portraits. But I'll be sure to link in the show notes this article that I found about Jackie Kennedy, her work with historic preservations, and how this connected to Doris as well.
0: That's super interesting. It sounds like Jackie and Doris had similar passions about preserving historic items, whether it was architecture, art, or artifacts. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad Jackie took this initiative on. Mm. In
0: October 28, 1993,
2: at the age of 80, Doris would pass away with a net worth of nearly $1 billion. This $1 billion net worth filled with properties and foundations and organizations that she had created and established and her inheritance, because, you know, she didn't start from the bottom, she was already there. When she was born, <laughs> all of this would be bequeathed to Bernard Lafferty, her butler, what? her butler. Yes, her but and, you know, her butler wasn't this like spring chicken, young guy that could live it up. <laughs> um, it also just caused like a lot of drama because it's her butler. Like what just
0: it was a lot of drama. Yeah, I mean, I guess she didn't have any for surviving children, but you'd think that she'd have given it all to her various foundations and not her butler.
1: Yeah. The butler feels a little random, like foul play, maybe (laughs) like a knives out situation. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Okay, so I will say that, you know, her death, like I feel like I read more about what happened in her death than like other details about her life besides the fact that she had money and her connection to Duke University. But I will say that. After her butler died, all of her homes and properties were transferred to the foundations and her properties were to be restored or preserved. But aside from her properties and all that stuff, you know, she was married several times. So there was people just trying to figure out if they could get a cut. (laughs) She also had adopted a 35 year old. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Strange. Yeah, and but that didn't talk. They they ended up not being in good terms. Honestly, it was hard to keep up with all of these like personal life experiences, and it in a way I feel like it kind of tainted all of the good work that she was doing. So I don't want to get too much into the drama of her death and where her fortunes would go to and who was trying to get a piece of the pie or the bakery because it was so much. This is the first time I've and ever Jessica heard doesn't Jessica. doesn't want to
0: get into the drama.
2: Yeah. Wait, what? I'm, I'm shocked.
1: What?
2: I mean, honestly, I'm trying to, it's hard to wrap my head around everything that was going on with it. I just, I feel like it's, people just want to get money and want to claim money and this poor woman. But it, and also, it's just hard to understand and keep up with all of it. It was so much. So what I will do, though, is that I'll share all of the links that I used and that I found because it was interesting to look at. Um, side note, y'all, y'all know how I like plants. Doris has an orchid species named after her. <laughs> yeah. One of her properties had like an orchid. It was an orchid farm and they created a new species of orchids. Or, you know, like variety of orchids and they named it after her. Just say cool. Oh, also, by the way, since we talk about arc ventures all the time, like I mentioned, the Shangri La in Hawaii, you can visit it today. What? It's basically a museum of Islamic architecture, Lizzie, in Hawaii. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that feels a bit disparate. <laughs> But
1: I also really want to go now. I had no idea it was there when I went to Hawaii. I must go back. Yeah, we are adding the Shangri-La to the ARC Ventures list. It's a must-see.
0: Yes, another ARC Venture to the list. But that sounds like a lot going on in her personal life. She adopted an adult, Mm -hmm. but then didn't leave them the Mm -hmm. money? Anyway, I mean, I digress. We have to look up more about it later from the links.
2: Yes, there's just so much. But so... Now we are at the second half of our show. Now, Judy, can you remind us what a karyotid is?
1: Will do. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. This week's
2: tip goes to <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nakita
2: Reed. Yay! Yay! Nikita Reed. Okay, I'm so excited to talk about Nikita because Nikita Reed, she is an architect and an associate at the firm Quinn Evans, which this firm, it focuses on the intersection of architecture, historic preservation, sustainability. And it also talks about issues regarding race and gender. OK, so the firm is cool. Nikita is also cool because she, you know, got her bachelor's of science in architecture at the University of Virginia in 2006. She has a master's of architecture and a master's of science in historic preservation at the University of Pennsylvania in 2010. Just recently in 2022, she won the AIA Young Architect Award.
0: And she's the host of the podcast Tangible Remnants, which is part of Gable Media. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Her show is so cool. It talks about historic preservation, race and gender. She has some pretty cool guests and episodes. So be sure to check it out. It's basically. Yes. Everything I like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. History. Architecture, what's not to love? So, yeah, Nikita, she is based out of the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. I've actually heard her speak about her work um, a couple of years ago before I realized who she was. Like, I just remembered this morning, I was like, I've heard her speak. I've heard her give a presentation. But what also came up since she is one of our Gable Media sisters, it was noted that Nikita was actually featured in the Future Rising series which is basically a collaboration between Hearst Media and Oprah.com. So there is a little spotlight on Nikita and her work. So this could have been an agora because she's just killing it in 2022.
1: Nice. Congratulations, Nikita. Yeah.
2: Before we sign off, we want to give thanks to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer. And most of all, we want to thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning about rich ladies like Doris Duke and her fortunes. And you got to learn a little bit of Nikita, our Gable Media sister, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about
0: them and our other amazing professional ladies. SheBuilds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-Media.com.
1: Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your rich people, your organization starters, your philanthropists. (laughs) Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. Write us a review. This all really All of it helps us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and
2: keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SheBuildsPodcast and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. (laughs) Ta-ta! Papa JB Papa Buchanan, Doris's father, loved her daughter. <laughs> I mean, like, she <laughs> loved her. Right? He would His encourage daughter. her to. You say said a- her. Da- <laughs> her daughter. Okay, sorry. You said a lot of. I feel things. like today, my. <laughs> I said a lot of things. My mind is very jumbled today. It's very like scrambled eggs. So it's I'm going to say. The allergic to eggs. I know.